Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everyone. Lovely to be here again this evening. Praise God. Bless the Lord. Um, I would like to turn to the book of First Timothy this evening, please. Uh, and we're going to look at a few verses in chapter 4. We'll start with that, and then I want to go into the Old Testament for a little bit, just to look at a, a character study. And then we'll come back with some, some lessons from that. But if we could start, please, in First Timothy chapter 4. And we'll read from verse 13. This now is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, uh, a young protege of his, a minister of the gospel. And he's giving pastoral, fatherly advice to this younger minister and guiding him and directing him, shaping his, his ministry and leading him, pointing him to those things that will benefit his ministry, pointing him away from those things that will hurt him and damage him. And I think it's a wonderful, I love these pastoral epistles. They, they're like the shepherd speaking to us. And I think, it, you know, particularly for younger Christians, but they are ageless for all of us. So just these few verses then from verse 13 of chapter 4, 1 Timothy. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. Let's just pray briefly. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, for your help now to open up your word. Lord, you know my feeling of inadequacy, my need of you tonight. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, for your anointing and for your help. And I pray for each one of us that we'll have the concentration and the ability, Lord, to hear, and that this word will go into whatever aspect of our lives that you wanted to touch. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul is highlighting here to Timothy three things that I want to mention. First of all, he speaks about the gift that Timothy has. He says, don't neglect the gift you have. And I know Pastor Stephen was speaking recently to us on the topic of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's a wonderful truth that Jesus Christ, the risen head of the church, he gives gifts to his people. He gives a wide range of gifts. We read in the Corinthians about the some specific gifts of the Holy Spirit, but there's many, many more. There are gifts of authority, of leadership, gifts of comfort, of direction, 
gifts that build the church up, gifts that help, gifts of mercy, gifts of the miraculous. He gives gifts to his people. And there's something so wonderful about the, the gifts and the endowments of the Holy Spirit. And you know, when we are carried along in something that we would not be able to do ourselves naturally, when the Holy Spirit comes and moves in our lives, that we can do things, even practical things, that would not be in us to do. But the Holy Spirit comes with a gifting to do it. And there's nothing like this, that consciousness that we can have of the Lord working through us. It's thrilling. Even just speaking to some of the couple of the team coming back from Latvia, the young folk, and just that sense that they had of the Lord working through them in a new way, a new sense of what it can mean for the Holy Spirit to gift you in a situation or in a moment and work through you. It's the power of God in us by the Holy Spirit. And Paul, he is here exhorting Timothy. He's warning him, he's encouraging him, and he's saying to him, don't neglect this gift. Don't neglect it. He says to him, practice it, these things. Immerse yourself in them. So he speaks to him about that gift that God has given him. And this applies to each one. Don't just be passive about the gift that the Lord has given you. Whatever it is, immerse yourself in it, practice it, develop it. And I would challenge us here tonight, have you neglected, have we neglected a gift that perhaps we once exercised? Or perhaps is there a gift in your life by the Spirit of God and you feel, well, no, I'm too humble or I'm too shy or I'm too self-effacing really to exercise and step into that gift that the Holy Spirit has given me. No, the Word of God exhorts us. And in another place, Paul says to Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of fear. Step into, exercise, practice, be involved in what the Holy Spirit is moving you to do. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Move in that. And I would encourage each one tonight, move in that. Immerse yourself in it. A couple of objections we might have to this. We might say, well, I don't feel I have a gift. I look at someone else and I see, well, they have a gift, but I don't know. What gift am I to neglect? I don't feel I have one. Well, I would say, scripturally speaking, you do. You just perhaps don't know it or recognize it yet. Ephesians 4 tells us, to each one of us, grace has been given. To each one, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led, he led captives away and gave gifts to men. Now, there's the word of God to each one. Now, don't exclude yourself from the each one. If you feel you don't have a gift by the Spirit of God, for the body, for the betterment of the saints. Covetous, desirous, because it's there. Paul says in Corinthians, 
desire the best gifts. There's an issue. We need to desire them. We need to go after them. But they are there for us. And there is a gift for you to walk in. Well, you might say, yes, I believe I have a gift, but nobody else seems to recognize it or see it. There's a couple of possibilities here. We may be deluded. That's always a possibility. We may be deluding ourselves. Or the gift may be not yet mature. So if you're feeling like this, I would say there's a great safety in the Scripture. When Paul is speaking to Timothy here, he says to them, that gift which you have, and he, he speaks about how that gift came. He said, that gift came to you, and it was in that sense confirmed by the elders of the church who laid their hands on you, and there was a prophecy over you. Now, that's a specific instance But the general point here is that if there is a gift in a life, as that gift develops and matures, it will be confirmed to the general body of Christ, particularly to leaders who are walking in the Spirit. It will be. Don't be afraid. If there is a gift of the Spirit in your life, it will be, it will become evident it will become evident. So wait on the Lord, trust in Him, and as I say, there will be a confirmation. This is the safety we have to save us from our own ideas and our own notions. We are in a body, and the safety of that body is that there is a a broader witness of what the Lord is doing in any life. Hallelujah. I think it's wonderful. Praise God. Now, Paul does not stop here at this point. He underlines for Timothy his need to have a certain approach and attitude to the gift of the Holy Ghost and the gift of the Lord in his life. And then he tells him two more things. Two more pieces of, of guidance. And you know, the Lord gives us these guidance. Sometimes they sting us. And I think this will maybe sting us a little bit, and we might feel a little bit sort of uncomfortable with it for a while tonight. So I'm just warning you of that. But he does this for our benefit because he loves us and he wants to keep us from falling and from just becoming ineffective. He speaks two things more to him. He says, keep a close watch Firstly, on yourself, and secondly, on the teaching. Two other things. Yourself and the teaching. He says, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he says, if you do this, if you follow my advice, Timothy, you will have an, an impact way beyond yourself. It will, be a, it will bring a great blessing into your own life, and it will bless many who hear you. So what's vital to the continued power and blessing of any gift in our lives 
are these two things. Yourself, ourself is the first issue, and this refers to character and the teaching, sound teaching. These are the two issues. As we move forward in our gifting and in our ministry and in our walk with the Lord, following what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and give us for each one, two matters will be before us that we need to keep an eye on. Ourselves, our character, that is, and the teaching. The teaching we're imbibing, the teaching we're listening to, the teaching we're absorbing, the teaching we're giving. These are two vital matters. In a sense, it's like three legs to the stool of the effective Christian life. There's the gift of God. Without it, we're just operating in the flesh. We need a gift. We need the Holy Spirit to endure us and empower us for everything in the work of God. Without this leg of the stool, it's just human. A gift. There's character, which we're going to speak about tonight. And there's the teaching. These three legs to the stool. And if these, if either of these are neglected, this teaching and character, cracks will begin to appear. The gift will lose its impact. I've seen it happen. The power of that gift will wane or even in, in sad cases become distorted and flesh comes in. So this word, it's, it's, a, it's a serious word to us, folks. It's a serious word. It's something the Lord looking ahead of our lives. He wants our gift and that walk we're in with him and that ministry he wants us to be involved in. He wants that to go on and on and on and bear fruit and not grind to a halt. What I'm going to address tonight primarily is the issue of character. Keep a close watch on yourself. And it's a tricky one, but we'll get into it. But I just briefly want to address sound teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. I think, I praise God for here in Cork Church, I believe we are under the atmosphere of sound teaching. I thank God for it. Sound teaching, just very briefly, it's Christ-centered. It's gospel-centered. It's Calvary-centered. And any teaching that displaces Jesus Christ and redemption and the gospel from the middle, from the center, even if it's something good, should make us nervous, should make us wary. Anything that focuses on tangents and side issues, even interesting side issues, even good side issues, but if they're side issues and they become central, we need to be careful. Anything that smells of a return to the old covenant, we need to be careful. Sound teaching. I think we, we are aware of this, and I think that's something we need to continue to be aware of. But I want to primarily address this other leg of the stool. Take heed to yourself. Character, and specifically those aspects of our character that can bring a damaging effect on us. And how do we deal with that? How do we face this issue 
in a, in a manner that is grace-enabled and not just become introspective. This sounds like take heed to yourself. It sounds like, you know, should we be looking in and, and watching how we... That's the danger with this topic. It can, it can become something introspective. But I want to seek to address this tonight in a manner that has grace at its center, but that has is taking the warning of God's word seriously. And to, in order to understand the impact of character, I'd like us just to study a character for a little bit in the Old Testament. And that character is called Joab. Now, it's not Job. There's an extra A in there. We, we, I think most, most people are aware of Job. Joab is a slightly less um, well-known character. But he was King David's, if you like, his army general. And all through his life, he, le he led David's fighting men. He led his special forces, if you like. He was a, a mighty warrior, almost like a commando leader. Now, I think I've said to you before, I love David. I love this precursor of the Messiah. I love this type of my Savior. I love his heart. I love his emotion. I love the fact that he was the grandson of a Moabite. He was the great, great something grandson of a Canaanite prostitute, Rahab. And yet he's the forerunner of my Savior. It's wonderful, isn't it? Such a type of Jesus. But Joab has always puzzled me. He's an enigmatic and difficult character to, to get to grips with. But I'd like to try to paint out some thoughts of this man under this heading we're looking at tonight of character and power. These two things, the gift and the power of God in that gift and character. So let's just briefly, I'm going to skim through a few scriptures in 2 Samuel, um, just here and there, but I want to just describe to you who this, who this Joab person was. So who was he? Let's start with that. Well, he was David's nephew. David had two sisters. One was called Zeruiah, one was called Abigail. And Zeruiah had three sons, Abishai, Asahel, and Joab. These three men, these three brothers, are mighty warriors in David's army. And Joab is the captain. His sister Abigail had also had a son called Amasa. He's their cousin, another nephew of David's, if you can follow my family tree. And he also becomes a fighter, a warrior in David's army. And he becomes a controversial figure later on as well, which we'll get to. So that's basically who Joab was, a nephew of David. Now, what circumstances then formed this great warrior? Well, the first we hear of Joab is indirectly. David comes, for anyone who knows the story, he comes under suspicion by King Saul. King Saul has departed from God. He's just in a bad way. 
And he knows that the Lord has put his hand on David. David is God's anointed. So he's jealous and he hates him and he, he drives him out. David has to flee for his life. But of course, because David has to flee for his life, all of his family do as well because they're all under threat. So we read that all of David's family, his brothers, his parents, all of his household, flee with David to this cave called Adullam. So they're all down there. Joab, Abishai, the whole lot of them. All of David's brothers that despised him when he was younger, all there. And David becomes a captain over this group. And it's in this, if you like, this cauldron of suffering and isolation. It's in that, that's the place where these young men grow up and become fighters and warriors on the behalf of their uncle, their uncle David. So the next we hear of Joab then is how he becomes the top dog. He becomes the general. And how this happens is he sets a challenge that the warrior who would take Jerusalem at the time was called Jebus, it seemed to be impregnable. They didn't seem to be able to capture this city for many, many generations. So, but we know that this city is to be absolutely pivotal in God's will. So David sets a challenge. Whoever takes Jerusalem will be the captain of my army. Joab does it. He leads a group of men up through what seems like an underground water course or some kind of tunnel. A real commando-style operation enters the city and takes the city. An amazing deed of courage, of, of, of perhaps supernatural power and, and unusual... I mean, this city is so crucial you couldn't help but think, well, God was in this. God was guiding them to do this and take this city. So then what were some of the highlights, the good points of Joab's life and personality? Well, he was a loyal servant of David. He stuck with him through thick and thin. All through that period when Saul has, has David and all his family exiled, all the harassment and chasing of that period, all through the years of, of the kingdom moving to David and the wars that came with that, all through the battles that David had with the surrounding countries, Joab is there, he's there, he's there, he's fighting his battles, he's fighting his battles. Even through the dark, bad days when David sins and he gets Joab to do his dirty work for him and get Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed, he's there, he doesn't abandon David. All through the rebellion of David's own son, where he takes the kingdom and the whole country is now behind David's son Absalom. Joab sticks with David. He's a loyal servant. He was a brave warrior of faith who gave his all and jeoparded his life for the king. He was part of this group of mighty men that David had who did mighty deeds, supernatural deeds, many of them, and we read an interesting incident, I'll just read it in 2 Samuel 10, uh, as an example of Joab and his courage and his confidence in God. It says, when Joab saw, this was the Syrians, they're surrounded. 
Job saw that the battle was set against him both in front and in the rear. He chose some of the best men of Israel and he arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you'll help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good unto him. And of course, they win the battle. But it gives you a measure of this man, his coolness under pressure, his courage. His, the Lord is on our side. His confidence in God, even though he's completely surrounded. He wasn't in it for his own glory. We read another interesting incident where Joab captures the city Rabbah of the Ammonites. And it says he, Joab fought against it and he took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Now then gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. Lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So he calls David to come. And he said, David, you, you ride in. You take the city. It's yours. The glory is yours. So he honors the king. He serves him faithfully. He puts him first. And there's many other instances. He seemed at times to have a discernment and a sharpness that David lacked. He had a wisdom. So this man, he's a, he's a giant in Israel. He's truly a great man of gifting and power. In our, if we compare to our context, context today, you could say this is a servant of the Lord with a mighty gift. He's fighting the Lord's battles. He's at the forefront for many, many, many years of what God is doing. He's a faithful servant. He's brave, he's courageous, he's confident in God. But tragically, and here's the, the red flashing light in this story of Joab. He's undone by a deep flaw in his character that he did not take heed to or address. He didn't take the advice if he was transported forward a couple of thousand years of Paul to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself, Joab, on your own heart, on your own character. Keep a watch on it. This character defect that was revealed in Joab. It was revealed through the conflict of the time they were in. And you know, there are, there are two, if not more, great tests of character that will come our way. Suffering and conflict. Suffering and conflict. Both will come they will test us. They will form us. 
And I believe in Joab's life, suffering definitely formed his character in a good way, made him the warrior that he was. But the conflict seemed to undo him. It seemed to expose in him a bitter vindictiveness and vengefulness that he did not take care to address. And if you could turn, this is just to, to dig into this piece now. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3, please. And we'll just read a few verses here. And yet we'll, we'll get hope from this. This is what we're saying now is quite solemn and negative. But hang on in there. 2 Samuel chapter 3. What's happening here? This is during the period after Saul has died and the kingdom is in a state of flux. It hasn't yet fully transferred to David. And this general of Saul's, the kind of equivalent of Joab on Saul's side, a man called Abner, he's keeping the thing going. He's keeping the conflict going. But an, event, an incident happens that makes him decide, ah, oh, I'm done with this. Let's get the kingdom to David. So he sends out a delegation to David to say, right, David, the Lord has promised you the kingdom. I'm prepared to work to get it into your hands. And David arranges to meet with him in Hebron. This is the sworn enemy now, this Abner who has been a thorn in the side. And incidentally, during the battles of this period, Joab's brother, Asahel, is fighting the army and he's chasing Abner. He wants to get Abner. And Abner pleads him. He says, turn away, Asahel. Go kill someone else. Because if I have to kill you, how am I going to face Joab, your brother? But Asahel refuses and Abner kills him in the battle. That's the backdrop. 2 Samuel 3, verse 22. We'll just read these few verses. Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he'd sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he's let him go, and he's gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away so that he's gone? You know that, Abner, the son of Ner, he came to deceive you, and to know you're going out and you're coming in, to know all that you're doing. Now when Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Syrah, but David didn't know about it. When Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. And he pronounces a curse 
on Abner's family. He says, so Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. Here we have this emerging of Joab's character issue. And this happens again in his life later on with his own cousin. His own cousin sides with Absalom. Job takes him back in. Job does not like... David takes him back in. Job objects to this. So again, he knifes him. He murders him. And David, at the end of his life, said to his son Solomon, he pronounces judgment on Joab, and he says, you know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner and Amasa, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace, for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. He shed the blood of war in peace. Ab- Joab made it personal. He allowed a bitterness and a desire for revenge to come in and dwell in him and lead him to these acts of vengeance, personal vengeance, that were his downfall. How often, like Joab, we fail in the pressure. How often when this suffering or conflict comes our way, we lash out in personal attack. We allow bitterness and disappointment to warp us. And it undid this mighty man, Joab. In the end, he went wrong. He backed the wrong successor to David. He lost his way. He lost sight of God's heart. And he paid an awful price in his life and in his family. It's a sad, sad story of a mighty, powerful gift of God, a a man, anointed a man, side by side with the king, who did not take heed to himself. Now, that's that's the sad part. And... The New Testament tells us that these things are written in the old for our admonition. That we might learn from them. That we might see them and understand for us. But of course, how we respond is completely different. So how do we avoid the spoiling that our own characters can bring? and our own defects, our deep flaws that can come and trip us and fall us flat on our face. How do we avoid this? Well, we're back to the advice, firstly, of Paul. Take heed to yourself. He says you need, Timothy, to understand yourself. You need to face yourself. And in this funeral for Abner, David challenges Joab. And he calls him out. He says, this is wickedness. This is wrong, Joab. This was 
a teaching moment for Joab if he had been prepared to listen. And you know, for us in our day, in our dispensation, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as Pastor Stephen was speaking to us to alert us, to convict us, to sound the alarm bells. Take heed, be careful of this thing in yourself. Pay attention. Don't allow your old nature, your old Adamic nature, and your own character defects just to run rampant. We need to take it seriously. Take heed to yourselves. Folks, this is a serious, we're in a serious business. We're not in a business to be cast down about, but it is serious. But now, for us then, Knowing this, understanding this, understanding the awful potential that's in ourselves to just mess everything up. Well, we have access to a grace and an ability that Joab did not have. It's not for us just about trying harder to be better. No. It's not about us looking at Job and saying, well, I better make sure that doesn't happen to me. We learn, we look at these things and we see the red flashing lights of what the awfulness of our old Adamic nature can bring. But hidden in this account that we've read of Joab, hidden here in the Old Testament, alongside Joab in all his life, we say that Job was beside David. But David was beside Joab. And David is a type of our Savior. Joab is us. He's our old self. That which will inevitably fail and fall and mess things up. But right beside Joab, walking through every single of the same trials, the same slanders, the same abuse, the same suffering, the same betrayals, was David. There's another person with him. And you know there's another person with us. And not just with us, but in us. We're not just a Joab struggling on our own. We have a David. This David... Look at him. Look at how he behaves. Look at how he reacts right through all these times. He's full of grace. He weeps for the fallen enemy. He weeps for Saul. He weeps for Absalom, his son who betrayed him. He lets God deal with all the attacks on him. He commits his soul to the Lord. He's soft of heart. He hopes all things. He believes all things. He stops on the point of revenge. He was tempted to revenge. He went into the cave and they were saying, go on, kill Saul, he's in there. You, God has given him into your hands. And it says his heart smote him and he wouldn't do it. They were abused by this ignorant man called Nabal. And David gets riled up to respond to it. But this woman, Abigail, comes along and speaks to him, and he says, blessed be the Lord that you stopped me. He stops at the point of revenge. 
Jesus is one like us. He walks our journey. He has walked our journey. He was tempted in all points. Tempted to bitterness. Tempted to revenge. Tempted to lust. Can you believe it? Tempted to giving up. In every matter, he was tempted, but without sin. And he is alongside us. And he, by his Holy Spirit, is in us. This is our hope, this other person. Pastor Stephen was speaking to us a couple, few weeks ago. This other person. This other character that comes and he works against my character. That will inevitably bring me down. But he is there. And like Joab and David in that type joined at the hip together fighting the battles of the Lord. But there's with us is our Christ Jesus. And you know there's a wonderful truth hidden in this funeral cortege. And we'll, we'll finish with this. It says, having, having murdered Abner, having wickedly deceived him and knifed him in the gut, it says, David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bier. And they buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And all the people took notice of it. And it pleased them. As everything that the king did pleased the people. And all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. Now, of course, in this occasion, David says to Joab, put on sackcloth, tear your clothes, mourn and weep behind me. And Joab, he did it. He did. He had to do it. I don't know whether he, I presume he did it unwillingly. But hidden in this is a truth for us. That here, what did you see? You saw David at the head and you see in behind him, you see Joab with torn clothes, weeping and mourning. A contradiction. But it's the wonderful contradiction of grace. There's a picture here that despite our nature, our old man, our character, the Holy Spirit in us, like David that day, can cause us to line up behind Jesus in our response. And what people see, they see, they see Jesus, his response, his character being displayed. And yet in us, in all of our inability, in all of our flaws, we can find ourselves in that line responding as he responds. Not now being made to, but by the grace of God, by his Holy Spirit in us, we are in, in line, in behind him. Hallelujah. His character and response become ours. That's the miracle of this grace. His character. And all the people see, they see David. They see the heart of the king. 
They look on and they're pleased. They see this is the king's heart. The king did not want this to happen. The king is, is mourning this man, even though he's an enemy. And this is the amazing thing, that when this happens, when this work of the Holy Spirit works in us, that's what people see. They don't see the bitterness and all that we are in our old nature, that character flaw. But if we respond and take heed to ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to work, people will see Him. They will see His response in us, His character in us. It's supernatural and it's wonderful. That's what they saw and it pleased them. Because everything that the king did, did please them. And they will see him. How amazing that someone could look on you or me and see Jesus. But that is the truth. They can see his character. They can see his response, even though perhaps two hours before that, I was fuming inside. And yet the Holy Spirit can turn that into love and grace and forgiveness and joy and peace because this is who this other person is this holy spirit hallelujah hallelujah the one who gives us the gift he must give us the character to go with the gift hallelujah hallelujah take heed to yourselves yes but he has the answer to myself that awful dilemma called myself, that thing that trips me up, myself. Oh, folks, this is the opportunity. We have the glorious opportunity. If we take heed to ourselves, if we face ourselves, don't run away from it. Don't just pretend we're not something. Face me. Face who you are. Take heed to it. But no, no, that there is another person, there is another character that he wants to imprint and impress on you, and he will, if you turn to him and allow your heart to be soft to him. David, he recognized the danger zone in, in Joab. He said, to you, he speaks at one point, he says, you sons of Zeruiah, you're too hard for me. And that's the danger when we get hard in our hearts. And not allow him to do what he wants to do. Not al- he wants to bring the forgiveness and the softness and the grace. And, the, and we, can, we can resist and say, no, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to feel soft. I don't want to love. But if we allow that barrier to come down, he will imprint in us. In that softened clay, he will imprint the mold of his glorious character. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And oh, that life of Christ in us will prevail and overcome. Oh, hallelujah. So that the stool of our lives, of our Christian walk, could have three solid legs, sound teaching, the gift and power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit worked character of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, brothers and sisters, stay soft. Stay malleable in his hands. And we will reach our full potential in Christ. Oh, bless God. Young people who are in Latvia, you've tasted of the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've tasted it. Immerse yourself in it. 
let it become such a vital part of your lives. And know that in every aspect of your character, Jesus Christ has the answer. Hallelujah. Bless God. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.